What's up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time, a production of the Telecom Media and Telecommunications Group here at Arnold Porter. I am your host, Evan Rothstein, and I am back with my co-host, Yosh Eisbart. What's up, Yosh? What's happening? And it is part of the Startup Sutra series here on TMT Time, where we talk about entrepreneurial leaders in the community. We're back in Colorado again, this time way out on the west part of Colorado in Durango. And we are welcoming in a podcast host herself, Carrie Siggins, who is the CEO of Stone Age. Carrie, welcome in the podcast. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be doing this with you guys. It's hard for us to be all podcast hosts talking to one another like we're in an echo chamber, but we will try and stray away from that. So Carrie, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Stone Age is, who you are, and why you may be joining a TMT Time podcast. Sure, sure. So Stone Age is a manufacturer of high pressure water blasting tools and automated equipment for industrial cleaning applications, which is a long way to say we make squirt guns on steroids. Uh, so we were just talking in the pre-show about your shitty uh, pressure washer. Uh, we make nozzles that are about 10,000 uh, more, uh, that's about 10,000 more PSI than what you're using in your pressure washer. It doesn't washer even clean home. my garage, to be fair. <laughs> it's definitely not cleaning teeth. No teeth yeah. cleaner there. Our, our, our nozzles and equipment would destroy your garage. <laughs> so yeah, they're used to clean at like the world's dirtiest jobs, right? Cleaning sewers, cleaning heat exchangers and tanks and pipes and refineries, chemical plants, pharmaceutical plants, food processing plants, like all the places where, you know, you don't want to be, but are really important to uh, everything that, that we use and consume as human beings. So, so you have to wear a space suit. You have to wear a space suit to use the pressure washers. Um, I wouldn't call them spacesuits, but we definitely have to have pretty extensive protective equipment. Um, and, and so the, yeah, there's some slickers, uh, but a lot of it is actually, uh, material that can withstand a water jet. So when you get hit by a water jet, it fillets you. It's horrible. Wait. So you know, water takes the path of least resistance. So if it cuts through your skin, through your veins, through your arteries, and then it goes, um, you know, in either direction. And so it causes a lot of damage. Um, people die from water jet cuts, uh, whether it's, you know, gangrene setting an infection because it's dirty water or because it cuts an artery and it's really hard to put together, um, back those veins and arteries when they've been cut by a water jet. So the type of, uh, equipment or the type of PPE that we wear or that our customers wear really, um, it can withstand a water jet uh, and, and protect that from a cut. So it's really heavy. It's actually, it makes the job even harder because, you know, not only are you in a refinery in Houston, Texas in hundred degrees, um, but you also have all of this, uh, gear on so that you make sure that you don't kill yourself if you accidentally get hit by a water jet. So I got it. How do you get into water jets? Cause that seems to me <laughs> to be far, like, first of all, far field from everything, but how did you get there? Yes. Well, I expected I was going to be doing something far more glamorous than building, you know, sewer cleaning nozzles and, and heat exchanger cleaning equipment. Um, but it's a really fascinating industry and I got into it by happenstance. Um, there's either two kinds of people who get into this industry. One people who accidentally fall into it, uh, and wonder like, what the hell am I doing? Or people who, uh, you know, it's passed down as a trade from father to son and it's pretty male dominated. So it's typically father to son. 
But how I got involved was I moved to Durango and I was 28 years old. Um, I was a complete uh, mess and I came home to live with my mom to, you know, get hopefully survive my twenties and stone age was looking for a general manager. And even though I was grossly underqualified for the job, I applied for it. I have a mechanical engineering degree and worked in operations management and they took a risk and hired me. And so I had no idea what, uh, industrial cleaning was, I had no idea what, you know, water jet nozzles were. And so I had to, to learn all of that. That was about 15 years ago. So I'm, wow. I'm an IP lawyer. So obviously do you design and manufacture on site in Durango? Like I assume you have a lot of engineers with your engineering background. Do you weigh in on, on those types of decisions? Uh, I weigh in on, okay. So my first question, uh, we have lots of patents and yes, we do all of the design. I've got, oh, probably 25, 30 engineers on staff now. Uh, and, but we contract manufacture out most of, um, to, to build a, a manufacturing plan Durango would be next to impossible, uh, without having a lot of manufacturing here, finding people who know how to run machines is very difficult and, uh, and it's expensive. Real estate's expensive. Shipping out of here is expensive. So contract manufacturing, uh, we've been working, doing that, um, that kind of strategy for, for uh, well over two decades and it's worked quite well for us. So we really are consider ourselves to be an engineering firm and, uh, and then distribution. Then we, we bring all those products back and help house and then, assemble them and ship them all over the world. So yeah, I have a lot of engineers who work for me. I don't get into the design. I was a terrible engineer. I always told anybody, like if I design something, like don't drive on it, don't use it because it's probably really bad. Um, I went to engineering school because I was good at math, but I have zero interest in, in design or like actually like taking apart mechanical products. But where I think my expertise comes in and having my engineering background is really about product positioning and how to be able to understand what our customers are looking for, how to understand you know, what they'll be looking for in the future and really help our engineering derive a good product strategy. And then they do all you know, the real work of, of making a product that's going to withstand some of the harshest applications. So, so Carrie, you know, we go way, way back and, um, and it, just for, for the listeners, I uh, kind of past life, the previous company that, uh, that I uh, co-founded and, and was part of, we worked with Carrie and, and one of the teams or one of the companies that she acquired called Breadware uh, back in the nimble days and did phenomenal work. And now we're actually with our, our new business for continuing to partner um, with Carrie and her team, you know, from coming in as a general manager to, to rising through the ranks as a, as a CEO, what, what I mean, and, and all the experience that you've gained, your company is global, you've got, you know, offices in Europe and other parts of the world. Can you kind of share with us that kind of that journey, at, you know, at a high level and kind of some of the lessons learned in terms of scale and building team and, and, and growing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was you know, it's been such a, it's been such a wild ride. So when I started, I knew nothing, right. I was 28 years old. I'd been working, you know, for six years out of college and, and had some good jobs and had some pretty bad ones. So really I got started by just asking a lot of questions. <laughs> I just asked my team questions, Hey, what's the biggest problem that we need to solve? And they would tell me, and then I'd help brainstorm ways to do it. And then we would go fix it. And so that's how I really started my journey. And I still try to really keep true to that. 
uh, that whole aspect of just being curious, asking other people what they think, and then, you know, helping them implement their ideas. And I believe that's been really key to our success because when you have a lot of brilliant people all working together who aren't afraid to speak up and, and share their ideas and, and are committed to making things better, you, know, you can't help, but do good things for the company, do good things for your customer. So I think that was a really good way for me to start working at the company when I knew nothing. And, um, and it was such a successful method that I still utilize it today. So every time that we faced, um, an opportunity to pivot or have been forced to pivot, which have, and, you know, it's been happening throughout the company's history. And, and certainly while I've been uh, running the company, it really just comes down to let's get together as a team. Let's put all of our best, all of our best brains together and, uh, and figure out what we need to do to take care of our employees and to take care of our customers. So that's been, I think the key part of it. And that's allowed us to do all kinds of expansion, you know, whether it's te new technology development, whether it's opening up offices in, in Europe or, you know, the Middle East or a joint venture in China, uh, or, you know, going from, uh, go, starting to become a, a, an employee owned company through our ESOP. Um, that's really been, I think the heart of, of everything that, that we've done. Good teamwork. Yeah, I mean, and obviously good leadership and uh, being able to know what you what you know and know what you don't know yeah. and surrounding yourself with folks that help complement. There's been a lot of great uh, press uh, for Stone Age, um, uh, uh, specifically in Colorado that I've seen around uh, employee ownership and, and transitioning to that. Could you share a bit about uh, the, the thought process behind that and, and the transition and how it happened and where, where you guys are in that? Yeah. So we've been an employee-owned company for well over 30 years. Um, our two founders sell, started selling stock to employees in the 90s, uh, but it got to the point where it just wasn't sustainable. And so if we wanted to keep an employee ownership model, we were going to have to either do a management buyout where it's a smaller group of employees who own it or do a formal ESOP, which is an employee stock ownership plan, which is basically a trust that owns all the company stock. And then the employees are, are participants in it and own shares in the company through, through, um, through this trust. And we decided that broad ownership was really what we wanted for our future. We wanted every employee to be able to have an opportunity to own the company. And so in 2014, we transitioned, uh, from a skin in the game, uh, you know, people who had money to be able to invest, uh, could buy the company to, to this ESOP. And I'm really proud of it. So, you know, get on my soapbox here for a minute, but you know, business leaders need to step up and, and fix the problems that we face as a global society, you know, waiting for governments to do it. It's just not going to happen. Business is going to drive a lot of that. And I think that one of the fundamental issues that we face as a society is income inequality. A lot can be fixed if people feel like they have an opportunity to create a better life for themselves and their families. And a lot of people have lost that hope. And then, you know, it comes out in these populist movements um, that, you know, aren't really addressing the true root of the issue. And what employee ownership does is it, it, it allows employees to share in the success of the business. And so I'm really proud that we're creating the middle class from the middle out <laughs> trickle down economics do not 
just, just does not work. And so if we are building a successful company and employees get to, to share in that, then they're more engaged. They're more likely to, you know, speak up and share their ideas and work harder for the customer, which, you know, creates more customer loyalty. And, and we've really been able to grow that way. So I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, our employees are, are, are really creating true wealth for themselves on their nine to five job uh, that a lot of people in this country just don't have that opportunity. How many employees do you guys have? We have about 160. Are they all in Durango or are they spread across no, the country? No, they're all over. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are in Durango, but um, all over the country. And, and we've got a pretty big team in Europe and then individual employees, salespeople around the world. When you bring them on, are they automatically part of the program or do you invite them in or are there qualifications? How does that work? Yeah, there's a vesting period, uh, but all employees are part of it. Uh, but the, the whole purpose of an ESOP is to reward longevity. And, and so there is a vesting period, you're vested fully after five years. And, uh, and so that helps to really make sure that we've got the got people on our team who you know believe in the mission and believe in our culture and who are good fits. And, uh, and then, you know, they can fully take advantage of, of the benefit. So you have been CEO for what, five, more than five years at this point? Mm, yeah, I've gone on 12. Okay. So how, your executive team, are they all carry hires or have they anybody there before you? How have you built out your team? That, They're that all carry hires. Yeah. Yeah. So what, at, carry- what attributes are you looking for on your executive team? 100% fit. Um, I've made the mistake of hiring people who I thought had the skills that I needed to um, help me scale the company. And none of those people have worked out because they aren't good fits. You know, we are a roll up your sleeves and get the job done, done kind of company. And um, I think that a lot of people who come in at that executive level, right, they've done that work before. Maybe they've worked for bigger organizations and, and not everybody has that mindset of, I'm going to just do whatever it takes. If it means, if I have to go put bolts in a product to get it out the door, I'm going to do that during COVID. And we were having, you know, all the segregation. I went in and disinfected bathrooms because we were trying to make sure that we were keeping everybody safe. Like that's the kind of people who I'm looking for. And so, um, so I almost always hire on fit first and then skill. I think you can teach anybody anything, but boy, you can't teach people how to be a good cultural fit. No, hundred percent. Attitude eats aptitude uh, Mm -hmm. all week and twice on Sunday for sure. So in terms of kind of the the growth, y'all have had some some incredible growth and and some of that's been organic. Some of that has been through acquisition. Can you talk a bit about kind of as much as you could share uh, in regards to kind of the the Stone Age uh, growth strategy and and is our strategic acquisition similar to to what you did with Breadware several years ago, how we met? Um, is that part of the, the greater Stone Age plan? Yeah, absolutely. So I think we look at M&A maybe um, differently than a lot of companies do. You know, to me, it is always about how it's going to add value to my employees uh, and how it's going to add value to our customer, never for the sake of growing. Uh, we, we've got a lot of, uh, of consolidation in our industry, especially on the service provider side, and it just screws up companies and they're doing it for growth. They're doing it. So the PE guys make money and they're doing it because they've got, you know, piles and piles of cash that they're sitting on and they have to go do something with it. And I've just watched it destroy companies over and over and over again. 
But boy, you know, strategic M&A can be such a powerful tool if it's done for the right reasons. And so we really look at, at acquisition opportunities as how is this going to make our employees' lives better? Uh, and how is it really going to add to our technology portfolio? You know, being an engineering company, being a product leadership company, um, it's always almost it, all of our acquisitions have been either about technology acquisition or creating a, um, a, a service hub where we can do a better job taking care of our customers. And it has led to tremendous growth and every single person that we brought on to the team through our acquisition process has stayed part of the team. Uh, and they are adding value to our employees and to our customers. It's not just that bolt on of, you know, making money, um, for the sake of, of growth, um, for that particular organization. And I think it's been really healthy for us. It stretched us. It's uh, opened up new markets for us. We've brought great people onto the team and we're actually building a better company, not destroying it, you know, to make a, a top line number look better. The, what is breadware now that Yosh has mentioned it twice? Uh, and I do appreciate, by the way, Carrie, you connecting this to the TMT time, the T technology yeah. uh, for why you're a guest. So I do appreciate that. But what is breadware? All right. So Breadware is a, uh, an IOT product development firm. And so they, like, that's how we met Yosh. Uh, they are, uh, the experts in IOT affine products basically. So, you know, whether it's wireless connectivity, radio frequency, um, uh, testing, whether it's AI machine learning, like that's what my, that's what we do as an engineering team. And we actually met Breadware through, they, they worked for Stone Age. We hired them to help us develop a product and we were really impressed with them. Um, they helped us a lot. We're all mechanical engineers and we're going, you know, starting to build robots and we needed more electrical firmware um, and software engineers. Uh, and so they, they were a great addition to the team. And so when the opportunity came up to acquire them, we jumped on it. And, and so they run as a separate company. They have their own clients like Yosh fulfilled, you know, we're helping him with their, with their new handheld devices. And, um, but they also help stone age, uh, be develop products faster and more technologically advanced products than what we would just be able to do on our own. So it's really about, you know, we bought this startup company, we're helping them scale their own, uh, their own business, and they're helping us develop more state-of-the-art products for our um, industrial cleaning uh, customers. So you mentioned that you have competitive service providers. Are you both operating the building devices, designing them, and then servicing them? Why would a service provider be a, a competitor? I don't know if I said service providers uh, are competitors. Um, I think we talked about maybe the consolidation of them, but yeah, yeah, that's what yeah, you said. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Consolidating. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically, how Stone Age works, um, we make we make the products, but we don't do any of the service. We have training services uh, and you know field support services, but we're not actually running the equipment. And we've done that on purpose because high pressure water blasting. Well, no one wants to do it, so it's really hard. It's horrible well, you work. You already talked about how the arteries and veins are going to get yeah, delayed, yeah. Um, in the morbid portion of this podcast. Because sorry, yeah. keep going. Yeah, yeah, it's gross. So, so we've always stayed out of that side of the business and just develop products. Same 
same thing with breadware. They do what we call engineering services. And so they're, they, they're basically consultants and they'll come in, they'll help guide through, you know, this is what, what kind of IOT product you want to build, you know, and here's how we can help you get that to market. So they're not actually manufacturing the entire product. They're just helping with you know, the, the, the board and the communication piece of the, of the IOT enabled product. So I, I got a, a follow-up question on, on terms yeah. of kind of the M&A um, and, and the acquisition of breadware. Is it common within, I mean, we know that in, in other industries, um, you know, it is common for uh, acquisition from a strategic perspective to gain like a, 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 a uh, secondary um, revenue stream or uh, something tangential that complements in, in your world, is that common? Because it, it seems like, you know, uh, being from the outside and, you know, high, high pressure cleaning and within the oil and gas space and such, it seems more old school. And that's not meant from a, a derogatory perspective, but just more kind of heritage. Is it common for a, for a company like yours to pivot that right angle to, that level of technology is an acquisition? No, not common at all. People were like, what are you doing? Right. Bread, what? Why that did was you my, do this? Look, to be fair, that was my reaction. What, you're going <laughs> internet of things, pressure washers, what? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, that's me. I love to like, I love, you know, I love to be able to shock the industry uh, and and disrupt the industry. And I, Yosh, I think you described it perfectly. You know, this is a very old school industry and we're serving old school clients and, but it's going to change. We have a massive labor issue. There are not going to be people out there to perform this work. And so we have to solve the labor issue through technology. My competition is not the other manufacturers that are out there. It is labor. And so I need to be creating products that can do this type of cleaning with fewer people can do it faster, more efficient, safer. And that's all going to take robots and it's all going to have to have data that gives you the feedback of, you know, how fast am I cleaning? When do I need to clean? You know, we're going getting in from preventative maintenance to predictive maintenance to eventually prescriptive maintenance, eventually to condition-based cleaning. Most people in my industry do not see that path. They do not, they're, they're very stuck on this labor hours. <laughs> we have to bill labor hours and I'm looking 10 years ahead, um, to, you know, where the industry is really going to be. And it's all going to be technology driven. So I bought breadware to help me get there faster, even though a lot of people don't make that connection yet. Awesome. You sound like the legal industry when everyone's like, you need legal technology, you need legal technology yeah. in the older state law firms are like, what? Yeah. I need to bill hours and have more lawyers. I don't exactly. know about technology. Yeah. All right. Well, Carrie, we're almost out of time and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the fact that Stone Age is one of Outdoor Magazine's best places to work. I assume that's because you're in Durango, but I would love to hear what you do outside the office in Durango, what your employees are doing, what everyone is doing to have fun and why you're on this list. Because <laughs> we're a great place to work. Uh, yeah. So, you know, Outside Magazine, of course, focuses on companies that I think, you know, are have are, are in locations where lifestyle is very important. And let's face it, we all live in Durango because we want to live in Durango, right? We could all make a lot more money living somewhere else, but the quality of life here is really incredible. And I think that attracts a 
remarkable kind of person. And so that, you know, our culture is made up of every single individual, right? The culture isn't me. It's not my executive team. It's, it's every person who's part of the company. And so it's really all of them that make this such a great place to work. So we have awesome benefits, right? I mean, the ESOP alone, the fact that people could walk away with, you know, a half a million dollars in a retirement egg, maybe awesome. nest egg, even more than that awesome. uh, is pretty incredible. But, you know, we have a, a, a company gym. Um, we have an amazing wellness, pro, uh, uh, wellness rewards program. We get our employees, executive coaches, we, um, or, or coaches doesn't even matter. We have individual contributors who have coaches. We really invest in our employees training and development. Everybody has a career development plan. We have fun. We do giveaways. We have this whole gratitude practice where employees, uh, recognize each other. So flexible work schedule, a phenomenal paternity, um, leave program. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you are, uh, you know, a, a woman working with us and has a, have a baby, or if you're a guy working for us and your wife has a baby, like everybody gets paternity leave. So, you know, we just do all kinds of things that, that rehumanizes work. And I think that's why we're on that list and it just happens to be that we're in Durango, which makes it easy for us to, to, to get the, the recognition. So when your, your fame and star grow even brighter because of the incredible amount of listeners that we have to this podcast, uh, how are you going to fend off other companies calling to hire you to instill these types of, of morals and ethics and leadership qualities in their companies? True story. <laughs> I do all the time. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So I'm always willing to help anybody. Uh, and you know, they certainly can listen to my podcast. Uh, I do a lot of speaking. Um, so I'm happy to come in and speak to teams. Uh, but yeah, I, um, you know, I love what I do and, and this is an awesome company. The benefit that I have at stone age that all of us have is true autonomy as a hired gun. Um, I have, virtually hundred percent control of this company. And, and, and that's I a good thing. It the complete trust of me. the founders. I have a phenomenal board and why would I ever give something like that up? Um, you know, no matter what kind of, of, um, offer that gets thrown at me. And I think a lot of our employees feel that way, right? Autonomy, freedom to make decisions, um, you know, decision-making in your work, sharing in the success of the company, it's really hard to beat that. You sound like a true founder and CEO. All right, Carrie, we are out of time, uh, but we really appreciate you spending some time with us today because we know you have other podcasts and a whole company to run. So yeah, speaking of that, Evan, I, I would love, Carrie, could you tell folks a bit about uh, your podcast sure. and where we can find it? Yeah, absolutely. It's called Reflect Forward. Yosh has been on it. We had an awesome conversation about mindfulness. Uh, so you can find it on any of the uh, major podcast platforms and uh, you can find it on my website, which is carriesiggins.com. And it's got my podcast, it's got my blogs. I'm working on my book next. So Yosh and I talk a lot about writing the books and, and the process of birthing a book. Uh, and yeah, so reach out anytime and let me know what you think. And, and I'm happy to connect. Awesome. Thanks so much, Carrie.